welcome to the True Talk Cafe podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited you're here. Our podcast will tackle a myriad of topics ranging from relationships to personal development and everything in between. My name is Renee Stewart, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Anna Garcia, Carla DeCore, and Lali Ramirez-Bennett. Collectively, we span four generations. Can you believe that? We've all experienced ups and downs in our personal lives and professional careers that have qualified us to share our unique perspectives with you, and we're excited to do so. But before we get into today's content, I wanted to let you know where you can find us on social media. On Instagram and Facebook, you can use at True Talk Cafe, and on Twitter, you can use at True Talk Cafe One. Don't forget to like us, rate us, and leave a review. We value your feedback. We want to ensure that we are providing content that resonates with you. So please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. Spoiler alert, you will want to stay tuned to hear what our guests are going to share about this exciting topic today. Also, stick around to find out how you can join us on a live show. We would love to have you join us on one of our episodes. Now, let's get started. It's April, so that means it's Autism Month. And so today, our episode, we're calling Beyond What You Can See. We will discuss the inclusion and acceptance of those with different neurologies and the impact this condition has on employment opportunities. So without further ado, I'm going to shift it over to Lali. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Renee. So what is autism? Autism is a development disability caused by differences in the brain. People with autism spectrum disorder, ASD, often have problems with social communication and interaction and restricted or repetitive behaviors or interest. People with ASD may have different ways of learning, moving, or even being able to pay attention. Americans on the spectrum experience substantial challenges to obtaining competitive, integrated employment opportunities. We tend to think about autism mostly in children. But the reality is those children do grow up, right? And we want to help them become as functional as possible. And therefore, we do need to try to find ways that we can match their interests, their gifts, and their talents. And you'd be amazed that if you don't understand that they're autistic, once you start to look at what they can do, there are some very strong things that they can do extremely well. They, they unfortunately, though, do experience substantial unemployment and underemployment, according to research literature. As our conversation continues, we'll explore the employment challenges of those with ASD and the benefits of neurodiversity in the workplace. And to add to this discussion, we have invited an expert that is very familiar with this topic that will share her expertise and experience with us. So her name is Dr. Michelle Cantu-Wilson. Dr. Cantu-Wilson is currently a creative director and speaker for the Marquis Consultant Incorporated, a Dallas-based leadership consulting firm. Under her oversight, Marquis is developing a leadership institute for mid-level and executive leaders that will offer professional development for leaders across all industries. She is the host of the soon-to-be-released podcast, Lead Well with Dr. Michelle. 
As a regular co-host on the Ed Up Experience podcast, the premier higher education podcast in the U.S., Michelle holds a doctorate of education degree in higher education leadership from the University of Houston, Clear Lake, a master's degree in educational leadership from the University of Houston, a bachelor's degree in English from the University of Houston, and an associate's degree from Ranger College in North Texas. Welcome, Dr. Michelle. We're so glad that you are here to have to be with us in this discussion and to share some of your thoughts and experience in this topic. So let's start the conversation. Many autistic people have a variety of sometimes exceptional skills that enable them to thrive in roles ranging from sales assistants to computer programmer to journalism to statistician to just na to name a few. However, autistic people are often disadvantaged when it comes to getting and keeping a job because of other people's lack of understanding and support. In your opinion, Dr. Michelle, how does recruiting procedures often inadvertently create barriers for autistic people? What do you think are some adjustments that employers can make to remove some of those barriers? Well, that's a very good question. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the invitation. I do want to say that my expertise around autism is related to starting trainings at my previous employer, Sanderson O Community College in Southeast Houston where I had so many students in my classroom who disclosed their ASD that I became worried that other instructors or practitioners or staff were not going to be prepared to handle their needs and serve them well. And so I worked with the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning and suggested that we start doing as a college awareness building and appreciation building trainings for faculty, staff, and leaders. And that took off and was very useful to the college. And I say that because when you think about the umbrella of DEI work in organizations, especially in educational organizations, what I've seen is that accessibility services, disabilities are not often included in DEI work. Diversity includes neurodivergence. Diversity includes people with differing abilities. Inclusivity means building an, an environment to make sure that they thrive. And so I think one of the barriers that organizations face, even before they get to the recruitment point, is that there's not that foundation or that, first of all, the umbrella, right, to cover what it should cover, which includes ASD and ADHD and other invisible, sometimes invisible disorders. But then building a foundation of awareness building and appreciation building so that when we need to put something in place, such as a hiring committee that understands their own biases towards people with autism or towards people with differing abilities, then we can move somewhere. But if we don't have that coverage of ASD as part of DEI work, and if we don't have foundational training and even implicit bias training, then it makes it very hard for HR to tackle this barrier of recruiting people with differing abilities. So that's the first part is the barriers are created institutionally by just a lack of effort. So the responsibility lies with the organization to say, first of all, we want to attract neurodivergent talent and we were going to find a way to make sure that that talent knows that we're trying to do this. And so that's the first barrier. Adjustments that employers can make includes transparency. 
So when we are marketing, our language on our websites is always noticeable. Our marketing techniques, our social media, everything that is visible is noticeable. And so if we're not using language like neurodivergence, if we're not saying that we appreciate learners of different abilities, if we're not saying we are an inclusive organization and we celebrate all employees, then we're not going to recruit the people who deserve the opportunity to work where they want to work. And so I think the main thing is to be very clear and transparent, right? So your logos, the taglines that you use, the, the recognizing that it's Autism Awareness Month as an institution, that's a wonderful first step. Those things are all very important for making sure that we get past that recruitment issue. Great answers. I love that you said to start with an overall overarching umbrella neurodivergent strategy in our marketing. But when it comes down to the application, job mm-hmm. descriptions, mm-hmm. right? Can you speak a little bit about that? When it comes to job descriptions, it I've had some experience with working with an HR team on ensuring that job descriptions and interview questions were DEI based and DEI focused. And so it's it's much the same work when you're, I don't know if we're going this deep into it, but it, when we're talking about an interview committee, if that committee has some background information on ASD awareness, then they're going to know that they need to give interviewees time to answer questions. They need to change the pace of an interview. They need to allot more time and they need to equip an interview room with different ways to present a person's portfolio or their skills and abilities beyond sitting at a table, which can be very confrontational for someone who does not, for instance, want to make eye contact or feel comfortable making eye contact. So I think it's more than just the interview questions because I believe it's the interview tone and it's the interview environment. How the questions are answered, I think, is a, is a, a separate question. Um, but setting up an interview so that people with differing abilities can feel comfortable expressing their qualifications beyond verbally back and forth is a good first step. Absolutely. I mean, I with me being an HR and that's my background and even looking at the job descriptions themselves, because a lot of times you'll see good communication skills. Yeah. Right? What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> what, what does that mean? And if you have a candidate that has ASD, are they going to have good communication skills or their communication skills are going to be look a little different? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so and- is that disqualify them immediately. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I did in the trainings was I focused on ASD attributes that people overlook. And so some of those attributes are that people with ASD can thrive on clear expectations. They are conscientious. They thrive on routine. They are attentive to detail or can be, and they have unique perspectives. And so this is language from research. I worked with the University of Houston Clear Lakes Center for Autism when I was developing our trainings. And I also pulled a great book on on autism awareness and flipping the research into 
the right wording on job descriptions would actually be pretty easy to do. So we're looking for a candidate who has unique perspectives. We're looking for a candidate who is attentive to detail. Instead of saying we, we need good communication skills, that is very ambiguous. And I think if we do that in attempting to recruit people with ASD, then it serves everyone very well, right? To have more information on a job description. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Well, I do think uh, it's, it's critical that we make sure when we talk about diversity that there's other things beyond what we see. I myself am dyslexic and people that have worked with me forever may not know that, right? One of the things that I get from young students or students in college, when I say I'm dyslexic, it's it's kind of a breath of fresh air because they see somebody that was able to thrive with what they know, right? And And so um, I realized that not too long ago, I started actually speaking about being dyslexic because yeah. the people that I worked with really never knew that. But I, um, I'm a little bit opposite of that. I'm not good with detail, but I remember everything. And there's things that as soon as you say that, you're like, oh, that's true. Don't, don't give me that for those same reasons. I had to learn to understand that someone on the spectrum and I would be at opposite ends. When it came to understanding or working with somebody in the project, I'm like, why do we have to go through this so much? I already got it. I, well, let's move on. But there's just, you have, it's different personalities. And, and once you become open to knowing that we all learn in different ways and we all bring different talents, mm-hmm. it is so much easier as mm-hmm. well as you learn to be able to maximize the skills each person has. Right. But I really think it's, it's almost like a, a switch we have to flip in people to say, you got to be open. It's not just everybody has to be the same as you. I love that you say that because it really is that simple. I mean, for leadership teams, for team leads, for department chairs, for directors of HR, We want to go a level deeper, right? We want to say that we're dealing with issues of executive function, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're dealing with an inability to see the big picture and to get lost in the details. We want to clarify what those behaviors are because sometimes misunderstandings of personalities end up in HR, right? right? As an HR issue. But it really is as simple as creating a culture where people are appreciated for what they bring instead of how they're different. And I I think that's a hard thing to do when productivity is so important, when numbers are so important, when time is so important. And so it has to be a very integrated, very intentional effort to celebrate diversity and appreciate people and teach patience and understanding and kindness, the things that we learned in kindergarten in the workplace. Like it's, it, it's more complicated than it seems. The, the easy things, the basics should be, are the ones that give us yeah. a hard time in that respect. And I'm going to tell you that being a success manager, ensuring that we have the right numbers for years, mm-hmm. having the right people at the right function can ensure success just as much. I right? love that. Mm-hmm. Because I may not be, you put me in something that's repetitive. We're going to have a lot of lost productivity, right? But you put somebody that's that's got that ability to do that, 
yes. going to churn things out faster than fast. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's taking the gifts that we have as a people and identifying mm-hmm. what it is and allowing us to thrive in the environment and an environment that embraces those, those gifts. Yes, I, really I agree. I agree. Can I pop in here? What about the managing someone with AS, AS? Because, I mean, we spoke earlier about having an overarching strategy, mm-hmm. but a, a lot of managers, let's just be honest, they do not know how to manage mm-hmm. someone that is neurodivergent. They, they have no mm-hmm. idea. Obviously, the company has to do something about that, but yeah. it comes down to the, the manager as well. Your thoughts? It does. Well, I mean, it, this is one of the most sensitive topics that you're bringing up here because we're operating from a really bold assumption that individuals choose to disclose their ASD. They don't always and they don't have to any more than a person who has ADHD or diabetes or high blood pressure. And so it makes it very difficult to talk about managing because I go back to what is often said by Autism Speaks, which is when you meet one person with autism, you meet one person with autism. There is no way to have a blanket procedure for dealing with HR issues or management issues related to people with autism. I think from a personnel perspective, what I would like to see from managers is treat every single individual as an individual, because you may not get disclosure. You may never hear from a person with autism that they indeed have, or that they have autism spectrum disorder. So this is a really hard thing to discuss because we are making a lot of assumptions, right? If we expand our DEI umbrella and provide foundational training, there's even, I found a really cool study. There's even a a survey that employees can do that it's 31 questions and I'll send it to you so that you have it for for your audience to look up. There's a survey that can be used in the workplace. Excuse me, you can give it to your employees and it tells them how much they know about autism, what their level of awareness is. It's 31 questions, one point per question. The higher you score, the more. And that's a great baseline tool for managers right? Because when it comes to HR issues or management issues, it's not usually 17 people that you're dealing with. It's, it's a one-on-one conversation. And so we really want to equip managers with the skill set that they need to deal with that one-on-one issue when they might suspect, although it's not fair to diagnose because we are not diagnosticians, right? Or medical professionals. Without disclosure, it's really hard to have a blanket policy or procedure. I think the responsibility lies on managers and HR teams to provide the training needed to deal with people who are neurodivergent and then handle every individual case on its own and not expect that another case dealing with a person with autism is going to be the same. Yeah, I would agree with that. Just in my own personal experience, just recently, our manager and AVP came to me because they were looking at a temp candidate and that person was doing very well and they wanted to transition mm-hmm. that person to direct hire. 
but they they said, well, there's just one thing. And I said, well, what's the thing? And the way that they laid it out, they said, well, they're afraid of people. And I'm like, okay, what what does that mean? <laughs> they're afraid of people. Can they not be in the office? I mean, are they working from home the whole time? Because we're not working from home the whole time. It's 80%. So I said, can you give me a little more here? And they're like, well, they get anxious. And I'm like, okay. I said, have they disclosed anything to you? Why do they get anxious? And they're like, they tried to explain. I said, well, I'll just directly to the person. So when when they called her in, I just said, hey, I have received some information. And this is the information that I received. I said, can you kind of explain a little bit of what what is going on and what's that like? And they explained to me that they get anxious. Uh, they, they cannot drive. And I just said, okay. I just said, if people come confront, mm-hmm. really anxious. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. what's worst case scenario? And they will seize. So I said, okay, what are those triggers? So as an HR person, I'm thinking, okay, I need to know if she's out on the floor and someone confronts her Mm -hmm. in a very aggressive way, Mm -hmm. that's going to make her possibly seize. So I need to know that. And the manager needs to know that, that that's worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. So she was forthcoming to me because I was asking the right questions because I wanted to know because she's very good at what she does because it's Mm -hmm. repetitive. It's detail-oriented, like you were saying, right? But she's a bit on the spectrum, (laughs) right? First, I was kind of like, well, do you really want to bring this person on? Is there, because I thought it was a medical issue, the way that they were explaining it. But then I said, let me just talk to the person so I could get down to the nitty-gritty. And once I did that, I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand. Mm -hmm. But it kind of ask those questions to really get a full picture before you can make a decision. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think it's, it's valuable when they know that because they maybe have become aware of those triggers or things that mm-hmm. make them react in a different way. I've worked with people that I've noticed that when we meet and they feel that the meeting is in any way confrontational or Airbnb held accountable about something that perhaps they start to shake or sweat a lot or even cry, but they haven't recognized those things yet. So I think for us as leaders, we need to make sure that we're becoming aware of those things and those patterns so you can understand Mm -hmm. how to better communicate with people that may not know they have a difference in how they Mm -hmm. communicate or or a preference. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can then do that. Like I've even noticed that if, if I'm addressing someone in a, in a big group that it just makes, makes them extremely uncomfortable and sweating profusely. Um, there, there's just things that we need to, I think, notice as we communicate and engage with people for sure, whether they're on the spectrum or not. Yeah. There's actually research that supports what you're saying and what you're, what you're describing, God, is personalization. And that is what students in research of autism have shared college students, they have shared that personalization works for them. A safe and transparent environment works for them. 
coaching works for them and breaks work for them. And so personalization, if, if we look at it this way, if we just ask people in a tense situation, and I've had this experience with students with autism in the classroom, what do you need from me right now? How do I make this situation better for you? I think that's fair to do for any person, but I think it's especially sensitive to do with people who have disclosed that they are on the spectrum because uh, for many reasons, gosh, this sends us on a tangent. But when I started doing this work, it was one in 72 people who were being diagnosed. And then it was one in 56. And I think it's now one in 30 something. And so we are be getting better at diagnosing autism. And with earlier diagnosis comes earlier interventions, right? If we start interventions in pre-K and elementary school, then we're talking about high-functioning ability to communicate better, to adapt better, because what we're trying to avoid is camouflaging in the workplace. And that's actually a research term related to autism. Individuals who will camouflage their symptoms to function in the workplace. And that's an added pressure because there are, this is, this is, there are comorbidities associated with autism. People with autism also have a tendency to suffer from things like anxiety, depression, the focus on, there's another term for it, but I'm not remem remembering, the focus on individual things, right? Obsessive compulsive disorder. So those com comorbidities mean it's not just that you have a problem with executive function. It's not just that you have a problem with time management, right? It's also that you're anxious and you're upset and then you're camouflaging who you are to fit into the workplace. Like that is way too much to ask from any person. And so personalization, awareness building, appreciation building, transparency about a, an inclusive work environment, this autism, let me find the name for you. The name of this uh, knowledge scale is called Autism Spectrum Knowledge Scale. And that having your employees take this would say a lot. Just having your leaders take and this knowledge scale would communicate. We want to know more. We want to do better. We want to provide a safe space for neurodivergent individuals in the workplace. But yeah, personalization. I'm so glad you said that, Carla, because that's really what it's all about. You can't do any better than that. It's just by make, having those individual conversations, making those individual efforts and raising awareness so that we're not and we wouldn't do for anybody in HR, right? We're not discussing personnel issues publicly. We are discussing inclusivity publicly. Absolutely. I mean, and if you take a look at it over the last, what, two and a half, three years with dealing with COVID and mm -hmm. mental health has come to the forefront with <laughs> events and a lot of HR professionals are having to deal with a lot of mental health issues, which could have already been there, but because right. of COVID, right? They're just, out, they're right out in front and people have made it okay to talk about mental health, right? Yes. It's getting better and better and better. And within my HR circles and workshops and things that I'm attending, that is the number one thing that we are talking about is mental health. 
How do we deal with this? What types of programs are you putting in place? How are you identifying? How are we training our management teams to be able to deal with it so that the person can show up as their whole self, not feel embarrassed by it, and the management team, your leadership, can actually deal with the whole person and not penalize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly right. That's, that's the type of work that needs to be done with an employment rate. And with this study that I'm going to send you, the employment rate for people with autism is about 50%. And when you think about what that means for socialization, for, oh gosh, therapeutic experiences, for building on the therapies that were done when early diagnosis was made, we want to continue to allow people to grow in the workplace. And so it's not just talking about that baseline employment. We got you through the door. We recruited you. Now you work here. Now it's a matter of ensuring that that pipeline when that trajectory is also possible and that recognition that we would normally use with other people is tailored for the individual. Because what I have found in working with students with autism is that because communication and social challenges are two of the main characteristics of autism spectrum disorder, then my, my belief that if I have a student's heart, I have his head, that goes out the window because I'm not making necessarily an emotional connection with a student who does not function that way socially, who does not recognize facial expressions, for instance, who does not hear tone of voice changes or inflections. And so it really, it forces us to really do better at being objective, at not being biased in our behaviors and using smiles to indicate that we're pleased with someone when we could use words and say, I'm very pleased with what you're doing because you're doing a good job. Having this awareness of what autism spectrum disorder is, I believe has made me a much better educator because I'm not operating from the assumption that if my students know I love them, then they're going to do better, right? They're going to be, they're going to learn from me better because that's not true. If my students know that I'm fair, that I'm transparent, that they can count on me to do the same thing over and over, to give clear directions, to give specific feedback, then they're going to thrive. All students will thrive. But yeah, it puts the onus on us to, to do our research, to know more. Right. Carla, can you share some tips that we can give our, uh, share with our audience? Yes, for sure. So there are some top tips that I think employers will find helpful. So one of the main things is clarify expectations for the, goal, for the job. You may need to be more explicit about your expectations for an autistic member on the staff, as well as the job description. You need to explain the etiquette and unwritten rules of the workplace. Don't assume that they will know. The second tip is provide training and monitoring. Make clear and structured training because it is invaluable to people on the spectrum. This can be provided informally on the job by a manager, by colleagues, or a mentor. Or you may take the form of a formal training that you feel may be helpful for them. The third one is making sure that instructions are concise and specific. Try to give your employee clear instructions right from the start about exactly how to carry out each task from start to finish, as this will lay the foundations for good working practices. And I personally believe that should be done for everyone, regardless of how they learn. Don't assume 
the person will infer your meaning from informal instructions. For example, rather than giving, rather than just saying, give everyone a copy of this, say, make three, three copies of this and give one, eight, one of each to Sam, Mary, and Ahmed. So being very specific on what is it or what are the steps that you want them to take. The fourth one is ensure the work environment is well-structured. Some autistic people need a fairly structured work environment. You can help by working with them to prioritize activities, organizing tasks into a timeline for a daily, weekly, and monthly activities, and breaking larger tasks into small steps. I've, I've been in work environments where just go ahead and do your job, the job description, and just kind of do as you do, right? That will not work for them. So definitely be very structured. Fifth one is regularly review performance. Line managers should have brief, frequent reviews at less frequent intervals with the person to discuss a review performance and give overall comments and suggestions. Six, provide sensitive but direct feedback. Autistic people often find it difficult to pick up on social cues, so make sure your feedback is honest, constructive, and consistent. And I will add to that, make sure it's very direct. So if you think they can do something better, I will say, say that I believe that this can be done in a different way. And what I mean by that is X, Y, and Z. Just making general statements will not work. Then ask for, ask about sensor, sensory distractions. Autistic people sometimes benefit from things like screens around their desk, noise canceling headphones, or their desk being in the corner. Uh, away from people so you can ask about their preference. And then just help other staff to be more aware. If your autistic employee consents to their condition being disclosed, then providing colleagues with information and guidance on autism can benefit everyone. It is important that we ensure that neurodiverse employees are supported in the workplace. And the best way to do that is to just make other people aware on just ways to better communicate and collaborate with employees that may need different a different approach. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add to that, Michelle? No, I think it's phenomenal that we're having this discussion and that it is with the intention of raising awareness and raising appreciation. I can say in my experiences that I really enjoy learning how people experience the world differently and that it, it makes me a better leader. It makes me a better employee. It makes me a better colleague to exercise my patience, to explore my understanding, and to remember that my way of learning and my way of being is not the right way just because, just because it's, it's my own worldview, right? It's my own experience. The more you experience other people and neurodivergent people, I think the better you are because you understand that we all offer something. And, and that it's not, it's not one person's view of the world and we shouldn't tailor the world to focus just on one person's way of experiencing things. Workplaces will be much better when they make efforts towards building awareness and appreciation. Yes. I mean, well said, well said. It's staying open and curious, right? Curiosity. And there's no, there's no one way of doing something. There's no one way of thinking about something. So I really, really like that. And we all can put forth a little bit more efforts <laughs> to be able yeah. to get our head around that. Yeah. And, and, and I, I want to just 
put a little pressure on leaders and HR professionals. This There is a whole world of research and there are organizations like Autism Speaks that provide the latest CDC data. They like the, the tips that Dr. Gradla shared are fantastic. Uh, I know she got those from research. And so the information is out there. I challenge HR departments and leaders to look this summer as we get ready to, to end, at least in, in, in education, as we get ready to end a semester, spend some time exploring what resources are out there to better our recruitment efforts, to better our interview practices, to better our onboarding experiences, to better our leadership preparation. It's there. We can Google just about anything. And I can assure you that like the University of Houston Clear Lake Center for Autism, they have been very helpful to me in developing my own trainings. I know that they and other organizations would be happy to partner with a place of business uh, to raise awareness and appreciation. So I, I'd like to make that challenge to, to leaders everywhere to do better, to learn more. Well, I personally will take that challenge on. <laughs> Dr. Michelle, tell me again, one in how many? Is it one in 25 today? I think it's one in 36. Let me look real quick because it's right at the beginning of Autism Speaks. But, and I love even, that website. Even at that, it's one in 36. I mean, when you yeah, think about an organization, right? It's, mm -hmm. it, we will all deal, if, if you're in a performance management role of any type, you manage people, you're an HR, mm -hmm. you are run a business. Mm -hmm. It may be your client. It may be your, your employee. It's important for us to be willing to be open about how we mm -hmm. accept other people and what they yes. bring to the table. So thank you so yes. much for that. Beautiful. Insight. Absolutely. It's all about inclusion, right? Yes. Sure. So this has been such a fascinating conversation. I mean, I'm so excited to learn more about it. And I'm so glad that we were able to talk about this particular topic. And I was on a, a webinar for a conference call with a couple of other HR folks, and they were talking about this very subject. Mm. So, I mean, I, I learned a lot there. I'm learning a lot mm -hmm. here and will continue yeah. to do so. So when that person landed in my office, I wasn't like, oh my God. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I'm understanding, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it, I don't know. My, my world has been enriched by learning the things that I've learned. And I know that when I did these trainings at my former institution, that I had employees, I was trying to teach them to better support students, but I had employees who came and disclosed to me that they had I, I, ASD and that they were, had a late diagnosis or that they struggled in the workplace because of it. And they felt much better knowing that it was like out in the open, that we could talk about this and that we could figure out a way through making people yeah. feel supported and appreciated and seen, right? But not singled yeah. out and not put on blast. It was really empowering. So uh, I'm certainly available to come out and do foundational baseline training to help spark the conversation but only with the intent that an institution or an organization is going to be empowered to do it on their own and not outsource it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, you don't just want to put a check in the box, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what else? Not, something about... 
but it also feels empowering because I can think of so many situations where there were performance concerns with some of my directors that they were concerned about their employees not performing or not doing things the way that others do it. And it makes me think back and think maybe that was someone with ASD that which was just never diagnosed. Maybe they, they didn't know it or they didn't disclose it. And the, the director or manager was thinking that, that that person was just not wanting to perform. But in fact, that person were, just needed to be coached differently. So I think it can be such a powerful and game-changing opportunity for a lot of managers and directors if they can just better understand. Because I can guarantee you going forward, I'm going to look at performance management very differently than I did last week, thanks to this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have to promote a culture of inclusiveness. That's where it starts, number one. And just understanding that what what it kind of looks like. I mean, yes, it's individual, but when you're doing your foundational training, Dr. Cantu, are you, are you providing at least some, in, within your foundational training what it could look like? Because your managers are going to be like, okay, I'm having an issue with this person, but can we say, all right, typically you might see this, you might see this, mm-hmm. you might see that to even trigger it to come to HR and say, hey, this mm-hmm. is what, this is the behavior that I am observing. Mm-hmm. Yes, actually, more under under those main characteristics that we see or those the issues that we see, like related to theory of mind, right? Theory of mind is related to like seeing the big picture. So I'll actually give an example of a situation in a classroom where I gave an assignment and I told the students, I want you to figure out what's wrong with this widget. You've got a you got a scenario in the workplace. The widget's not working, but you had to ship out twenty five hundred of them. And now you have to figure out how to fix the 2,500 that you shipped. And I'm, I'm going through this scenario of trying to get them to think critically and problem solve and troubleshoot, right? My student with autism who had disclosed to me and was receiving accommodations was stuck on the widget. What is a widget? What, what are you talking about? Widget just means a general thing. It's a thing, right? But that wasn't enough clarity. And so for the big picture they weren't going to get the big picture, which is figure your way through this scenario and create, create a solution to a problem because my language was not specific enough for them to get to that place where they could mm-hmm. see the big picture. And so I do give like specific and I have training videos um, that talk about like communication issues. There's one example where a professor came to a student was going to ask a question And the student said, don't start with me. And the professor kind of got bent out of shape thinking, wait, that's disrespectful. What do you mean don't start with me? The student who spoke in a monotone, which is one of the characteristics of some people with autism, meant, I'm not ready. Don't start with me. Uh, With that, with that, with the, the speaking characteristics, you can be misunderstood in the way that you communicate when you have no intention other than just to communicate your basic thought of don't start with me, I'm not ready, versus don't start with me, confrontational. So yes, I do give scenarios, so sorry, and examples, and I have training videos, lots of resources, 
citations for the research because this is not my area of practice. I am not a doctor or a diagnostician. I just care a lot about people with autism. I care deeply about their success and making sure that the workplace works for them and that institutions of higher education work for them. So it's foundational. It's very basic. It, we, we make sure to address things like the idea that people have the misconception that autism is caused by vaccines. That was created by, that idea was created by a study that was turned over, that was published in The Lancet, but it was, it was turned over and was not a reputable study. And there is absolutely no connection, research-based connection between vaccines and autism. It's just the way media portrays things and the way that people believe things without doing proper research and relying on things like Autism Speaks and other organizations that have the information that medical professionals are trying to get out into the world. So we have to, we have to take that responsibility of doing the exploration because we have so many conflicting environments of conspiracy theories and doing your own research, air quotes right now, we have to work harder to protect people who deserve to, to exist in a safe space. And, yes, and Michelle, thank you so much. I was just going to add one thing. I think not only do we have to protect them, but we have to learn that by opening ourselves up, there's a tremendous value that we ourselves can take in that respect, right? Because you can create a better world. You can create a, a more efficient work environment by having everybody having that open, open mind, open heart, open thought about how we all work and function. Yes. I mean, thank you so much. We've learned so much from you. <laughs> that I can't do. I mean, so Thank much. Very much. I mean, my head is kind of like spinning. I'm thinking, well, what resources does she have? <laughs> Bring the bag of goodies. We want to. We want to know it all. <laughs> yes, it's been awesome. I mean, just awesome information. And sometimes it just takes a person with the passion and that level of care that you have, and we can we can hear that in your voice, it's definitely coming across. And I know that our listeners are going to feel that as well, just like we are feeling it right now. But what I want to say, just to kind of wrap this up, is to encourage, we would definitely want to encourage organizations to create accessible job opportunities and to support mm -hmm. candidates and employees so that they can access those opportunities, they can grow and they can develop within the company. And by doing that, these, uh, these organizations open themselves up for new possibilities. And there's so many benefits that the organization will see hit their bottom line by doing mm -hmm. so. I so agree. said, we hope our listeners learned a lot from this conversation because I know I did. Dr. Michelle, can you tell us how our listeners can get a hold of you on social media? Sure. The place that I function professionally is on LinkedIn. And it's just Michelle Cantu Wilson, C-A-N-T-U, and easy to find me. I'm, I'm there frequently. It's where I've met great people like Dr. Carla and others. And, and then, of course, on regular social media, on Instagram, I am Doctora Wilson 12 And on Facebook, it's just Michelle Cantu Wilson. So I'm pretty easy to find. It's, it's not hard to find me. I'm not hiding anywhere. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And we will also thank include you. your social media handles in our show notes as well. So we make sure we 
reach out to you. And then any resources that you want to share with us, we will make sure that the our listeners can get a hold of that too. Absolutely. Or you directly. Very okay. good. So as promised, here's how to join us in another episode. As a member of our next show episode, we hope you're just as excited as we are. Go to our Tree Talk Cafe Facebook page and send us a request to attend session, or excuse me, season two, episode number five. As an, as an audience member, be sure to use the hashtag TTCS2EP5. We will respond to your requests with our podcast website link where you'll need to enter your preferred email address for us to send the audience. We'll also send all audience members a reminder the day before the show recording. It's going to be so much fun to have you join us live. As always, we welcome your feedback, so please let us know your thoughts about today's show. Leave a comment or review. We will respond to all comments, but please be nice. We'd love to hear your thoughts about today's topic. Please do not forget to like and rate the episode. We appreciate you tuning into our podcast, and we hope you join the TTC Crew Facebook page. Again, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook using at True Talk Cafe. Please use the hashtag TTC Talks or True Talk Tuesdays. Recommendations for discussion topics are always welcome. We want to ensure we are providing content that is of value to you. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us on our next podcast episode. It's sure to be an engaging conversation. Talk soon. Bye-bye.